When you listen carefully to the Lord's Prayer, which is something that we just prayed together, when you listen carefully, you hear some of the most basic cries of the human heart. So the prayer, the prayer begins, rightly so, with God, refocusing our hearts and minds and attentions on, on him. But right after you get past the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus then begins to teach us to pray and really teach us to cry out for a few things. He teaches us to pray and cry out for provision, right? Asking for daily bread. We've talked about daily bread. He teaches us to cry out for pardon. We talked about that last week. Forgive us our sins even as we have forgiven those who sin against us, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He also teaches us to pray with this cry for protection. That's some basic things, provision, pardon, protection. We all have a deep need for food. We all have a deep need for forgiveness. We all have this deep need to feel safe and protected, all of which is really hard to find in our world, especially the idea of, of being safe. Like where are we actually safe? If we can put on the screen this piece of art, I think expresses it pretty powerfully. Uh, this piece is done in the style of Banksy, kind of street graffiti art. What do you see? That's a real question. What do you see? An apple. See an apple? See the fruit? See a little girl? Yes. Reaching up for the fruit? What else do you see? Snake. Serpent? Snake? Yeah. Can you read the sign? Okay, next slide. Beware of everything. Which in some ways kind of sums it up. At least it feels that way. In the words of theologian J.I. Packer, he says, life is a spiritual minefield amid such dangers we dare not trust ourselves. Father, keep us safe. Beware of everything. Or in other words, lead us not into temptation. Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus giving this teaching to his disciples he says, Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes, it's muscle memory, isn't it, just to keep going? We'll get there in the weeks to come. Today, we're going to focus on that part of the phrase. Lead us not into temptation. And, and some view that verse, that line, as one whole thought, and it, it ties together for sure. I'm going to do this in two halves. This week, lead us not into temptation. Next week, we'll talk about deliverance from evil or the evil one. Let's talk temptation. 
Now, you may or may not know this, but temptation, the word temptation is tricky. Temptation is tricky too, isn't it? Temptation is tricky. The word temptation is a tricky word in the Bible. Especially in the original language, there's one Greek word that shows up and can be translated three different ways. So it's the same word, it's the word pyrosmos, and it can mean temptation, it can mean trial, it can also mean a test. And depending on its context and the source of it helps understand what that is. Temptation, trial, and test. Same word in the language here, translated different ways. But in English, those three things mean very different things. A temptation feels different than a trial, feels different than a test, though there's some connection between those things. So in some ways, it's hard to talk about this. It's like, is he talking about lead us not into temptation? Is he saying lead us not into trials? Is he saying lead us not into testing? Or what's the difference between those things anyway? But you hear it, lead us not into temptation, and some hear that phrase and are immediately turned off because it can conjure up an image of God as tempter. Right? Lead us, God, don't lead us into temptation. And the, the mental image of that is somehow God up in heaven with like a fishing line just dangling, dangling temptations in front of us just to see if we'll bite. Or God like sneaking around the corner just watching us like, are they, are they going to take the bait or not? That's, that's not a healthy picture of God. I mean, that's a biblical picture of God. But that phrase, lead us not into temptation, some like, man, is God, is that what God's like? We have, we have to pray for him to stop doing that to us? Again, I don't think that's what Jesus' temptation prayer really is. That's not how temptation works, and that's not what this prayer is about. So today, to talk about temptation, trial, and testing, uh, today I want to talk about the, the good, the bad, and the ultimate. So first, let me talk about the good. To pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, just to clarify, is not a prayer asking God to keep us from all trials and testing in our life. That, that's not the prayer. It's not helpful for us to pray that. To pray, God, stop trials in my life. God, stop all testing in my life. And the reason why that's not a helpful prayer to pray, again, I don't think it's a biblical prayer to pray, but I know from the scriptures, actually, that God uses trials and tests in our lives for good. So it's not actually helpful for us to say, hey, God, would you stop all tests and trials in my life? I'm not going to chapter and verse you to death today, but I can think of many stories in the scriptures where God uses suffering and difficulty in people's lives, and it brings about good things. I think of Joseph in prison, wrongly accused, and yet God uses that story and that situation to bring about the deliverance and the, and, the, and the help for his people in famine and for a nation. 
think about Joseph, I think about even Job and the loss of his family. I think about countless women in the scriptures who encountered barrenness. How many times do barren women show up in the storyline? Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, and there are more. And God uses even their barrenness or their season of barrenness to accomplish something good in their lives. Not to mention Abraham's testing. So I just want to clarify, not all trials are bad. Not all testing is evil. Author Wesley Hill, a few quotes for you here. He says, the Bible does feature numerous stories in which God, like a metalsmith, applies pressure on his people to refine their faith and obedience, to make it stronger and more durable. Or Tim Keller says, the Bible talks of suffering and difficulty as a furnace in which many impurities of the soul are burned off, and we come to greater self-knowledge, humility, durability, faith, and love. Which is right in line with what J.I. Packer says again, in God's program for the spiritual education and growth of Christian, the same applies. God does and must test us regularly to prove what is in us and to show how far we've come. His purpose in this is wholly constructive to strengthen us and help us forward. And you know, I don't like it either. <laughs> okay, it's helpful to read the, oh yeah, refinement, like a metalsmith, which is a great image on a screen until it's your life that feels like it's receiving the pounding of the metalsmith. It's a great idea until your life feels like the furnace that's being heated up. And you're like, can someone turn the heat down in here? I don't want to be heated up. But do you not know, friends, that God has a spiritual curriculum for Christ-likeness in your life? And a big part of that curriculum includes trials and testing and difficulty and pain. And I, I complain all the time about it. And I want it not to happen. But there's actually something really rich and beautiful and good that God uses those times and seasons to accomplish. So we're not to pray those seasons away. Times of trial, suffering, testing, actually can serve as a catalyst for spiritual growth unlike anything else. And a catalyst for intimacy with the God who draws near to the brokenhearted. I have found in my life it's in those times when life feels like it's falling apart the most that I'm able to experience the nearness of a God who draws near. And though I want them to go away, when they're in their rearview mirror, I wouldn't trade them for anything. So this prayer, lead us not in temptation, is not a prayer of like, God, take all the bad away. Because <laughs> that actually isn't a helpful prayer. God's track record and character actually shows that that's not how we are to pray. In fact, <laughs> James, Jesus' half-brother, puts it this way, James 1, 2. 
Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. Don't pray, don't pray it away. Count it all joy. Again, we don't relish these seasons but we're invited to count it joy. And it's in line also with what Peter, another disciple of Jesus, says in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And that's how we often respond to suffering and trial. It's like, what? What's happening? And he said, no, don't be surprised. This is actually part of the plan that I have. So we live in a story of suffering saints. We followed a crucified Messiah. We live in the present evil age. And we're not invited to pray the trials away. So that's not what he's talking about here. Because actually these seasons can be good. That's the good. How about the bad? Let me move my view maybe a little bit more from seasons of testing or trial to this idea of of temptation. Again, same word translated differently. But the Bible speaks of of temptation in a bit different way. Whereas a season of trial and testing is meant to bring out the best in us, temptation is meant to bring out the worst in us. And when you read the scriptures, God's role in temptation is really clear. And there's other passages in the Bible that help fill out this idea. I just want to name two ideas when it comes to God's role in temptation that's really helpful for us to know. Number one, God is not the tempter in our temptation. Again, James is helpful for us here. James 1.13 James writes, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. So James is like, God is not the tempter here. The devil is, the one who's known as the Satan is. And we'll talk more about evil and the evil one next week. But actually, James encourages us, when we think of temptation, rather than blaming God as the source of temptation, or even Satan as the source of temptation, or even the world as the source of temptation, James says, actually, probably the most important person to take a look at in temptation is us, and that our desires are at play here, and we are lured and enticed by our desires that then conceive and give birth to sin and then sin to death. So again, we can talk about the role of the world and the flesh and the devil, but it's clear God is not the one who is tempting you. So if God is not the tempter in our temptation, another important thing to know is that God is actually a faithful partner in our temptation. 
Again, other writers in the scripture are helpful. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So if you're wondering, like, what is God up to in my temptation? He's not the one who is tempting you. He's not the tempter, but he is the faithful one. And he's actually concerned about your ability to endure temptation. And he's so committed to being faithful to you in your season or moment of temptation that he promises to provide us a way of escape that we won't have to give in to temptation in the moment. It's a different picture of God. Not as God with, you know, baiting us along the way to bite on sin, but God who enters in to actively provide a way of escape so that we may not have to go there ourselves. But God is working on your behalf. He is on your side. He is actively participating for you to have a way through. So we come back again to the prayer of Jesus. This prayer we've been praying each week. We want this prayer to get deep into our bones. We want this prayer to shape our lives, our prayer lives, our work lives, our home lives. And we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We're not asking him to end all trials and testing. And we're not telling him, God, stop tempting us. St. Augustine says the prayer is not that we should not be tempted, but that we should not be brought or led into temptation. There's another image here of how this kind of plays together with God and other elements in the life of Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. This is early on in Jesus's life in his ministry. Jesus is led into the wilderness for a season of tempting. But Matthew, again, the same one who chronicles this prayer in Matthew 6, a few chapters earlier, he frames the episode this way. Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Which is an interesting pairing of two ideas. Who is leading Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit. The Spirit leads Jesus to this place doesn't keep him from the place, doesn't make him run away from the place. He leads him into the place, but the temptation does not come from God. The temptation comes from the devil here. God does not do the tempting. That's the devil's business. And true to 1 Corinthians 10, in that place of temptation, there is a way out by the Spirit through the Word of God where Jesus then is obedient, does not give in to temptation, but walks in a different way. So as we pray this prayer, Father, lead us not into temptation. Again, it's not a request for trials and testing to go away. It's not a request for God to stop tempting because he's not tempting us in the first place. And what are we asking for? And that's where I want to just point us to the ultimate the good, the bad, and the ultimate in here. So this, this word, pyrosmos, 
keeps popping up in Matthew's ability to tell the story of Jesus. It shows up here in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. It shows up earlier in Matthew 4 in the story of Jesus in the wilderness. But it shows up one other time later on in the gospel story, back in Matthew chapter 26. If you have a Bible, you can flip over to Matthew 26. So again, Jesus has gone through his years, early years. He steps into a life of ministry. He does his season of ministry right near the end. Matthew 26, right after Jesus celebrates Passover, we know it's the Last Supper with his disciples. This is right on the night that he's betrayed. This is right before he's handed over. This is the night he will go on trial and eventually be put to death. Right before that, Jesus spends some final moments with his closest disciples and friends. We're told in Matthew that they sing a hymn after the Last Supper. They sing a hymn. We're told that they go to the Mount of Olives. And then we're told that they go to this little olive orchard called the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you can picture the scene, Jesus is literally agonizing. Like his, his heart is broken. He is grieving. Matthew 26, 37, we're told that he is sorrowful and troubled, like deeply, deeply moved. And he knows what's about to happen. And death is looming like a vulture over his head. And he begins to pray. Actually, he prays some of the same stuff that's in the Lord's Prayer. And he talks about the cup, and he says, is there any other way, Father? Can this cup pass from me? But he says, not my will. Your will be done. And he comes to this place of surrender. Much like he teaches his disciples to pray about his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's the scene of agony, angst, travail. It's the moment. It's the hour. His hour has come. The trial has come. The testing has come. It's this moment where all of redemptive history hinges on this place. No one has experienced this kind of temptation since back in the garden with Adam and Eve where a perfect human is faced and put to the test. And before Judas shows up on the scene and Jesus gets arrested, he invites his his closest friends, his disciples, to pray with them. He says, watch and pray with me. Would you just watch and pray with me? And guess what his disciples do? They fall asleep. Jesus is over here agonizing. He's praying to the Father about the cup passing from him. He's surrendering his will to God. And he turns around like, right, Peter? And like, they're snoozing, they're sleeping. So this is Matthew 26, verse 40. It says, Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? I asked you for one hour of prayer. You couldn't do that. Watch and pray. Here's the phrase. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
same phrase, lead us not into temptation. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there's that temptation word again, pyrosmos. So with, with the cloak of darkness closing in, with the weight of evil and the sin of the world circling, Jesus in this moment, this is his moment, this is the moment, the trial, the testing. And with, again, all of redemptive history on the line, he tells his disciples to pray, to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And I love how uh, a few authors talk about this, about this ultimate temptation, this ultimate pyrosmos that Jesus faced. He says, Jesus prays in the pyrosmos where the disciples pray to be preserved from it. The disciples may be there beside Jesus in the garden and more distinctly on Calvary's hill, but they are not there in the furnace of temptation with Jesus. They are onlookers, but not full participants. And then we begin to see something take shape that changes everything about our trial, our testing, our temptation discussion. The reason why Jesus is able to teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation, is because he did. The reason why we can pray, deliver us from evil, is because he was delivered over to evil. Again, N.T. Wright said he would be the one who was led to the testing, who was not delivered from evil, so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus faced this moment. He went into that place that allows us to not have to engage it the same way. Friends, we are, we are a community of Jesus followers. I've talked about that before. In some ways, I even prefer that phrase than to being called Christians sometimes because of the baggage that comes with that. But we're, we're Jesus followers. We're committed to following Jesus. We have said yes in faith to follow Jesus, and we will follow him till the day he returns. And yet, in this story, we come face to face. There is one place you can't follow Jesus. And that's to the cross and die like he did. The garden story of agony mixed with the Lord's prayer reminds me that even though we are Jesus followers through and through, we will not have to be forced into the capital T testing that Jesus faced, the capital T trial that Jesus endured, the capital T temptation that Jesus faced in that moment. Again, N.T. Wright says, this vocation is unique to Jesus and where he goes, the rest of us cannot follow. The rest of us are therefore commanded to pray that we may be delivered from the power of evil. And we can pray that prayer with confidence precisely because Jesus has met that power and has defeated it once for all. Jesus intends his followers to recognize not only the reality of evil, but the reality of his victory over it. Don't you know, my friends, can't you see our temptations differently through the finished work of Jesus? Through the ability of Jesus to face the test, through the ability of Jesus to face the trial, 
the ability of Jesus in the garden to carry the weight of it all, to plead for the cup to pass, but to say, not my will, your will be done. Jesus walked into that place and emerged victorious so that we can pray differently. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So we're not praying, again, God, take away all my difficulty in trials and testing. And we're not praying, God, stop tempting me. But in some ways, when we pray, lead us not in temptation, we're praying, God, help us face our temptations differently because of the full and finished work of Jesus. May the full and finished work of Jesus have effect on the way that I do temptation today. Where he went in victory, the good news is I don't have to ever go. This is the one place that I will never have to follow Jesus into the trial of Mount Calvary. I will not have to face Satan alone. I will not have to face death alone. And the fact that I actually can face my trials and testings and temptations differently is because Jesus is the one who has perfectly endured the greatest fiery trial of them all which makes him able to be the one, Jude 24 says, is able to keep you from stumbling. He is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. He is the one who will provide the faithful escape. He is the one who will help you in your moment of need. He was forsaken that you will never be alone. So I can actually thank God that Jesus can use my trials. And I can thank God that Jesus can use my season of testing. And I can thank God that Jesus will provide a way out due to his life, death, and resurrection. And I can follow him and live differently because of his victory because of his death, I can live. So we pray, Lord, save us from our time of trial. Save us from temptation. Because in many ways, we know that he already has answered that prayer 2,000 years ago on the cross. We pray this prayer mindful of the full work of Jesus. I'm curious this morning, what is the greatest temptation you face today? And again, that's not a question you have to answer out loud. What is the greatest temptation you face today? Lord, lead us not into temptation. May you discover a God who has the ability and the desire to lead you through it and out of it in the way of Jesus. May we have a budget in our lives for trials. I don't like budgeting for trial. I don't, I don't like trials. May we pray in a way that says, God, use them. May I not be surprised by them. 
may I count it joy today that you're accomplishing something in me. May we not unnecessarily court temptation. Sometimes we're just stupid. And we put ourselves in situations that we're like, that's just not wise. But may we live in light of the victorious one who redeems trials and testing and temptation in his way for our good. It's easy for our trials to become temptations when we lose sight of God in the midst of them. May you find a God who brings us a different way. Let's pray. Lord, It's easy to feel at times uh, like the sign, beware of everything. It feels at times like everywhere we look, it's just hard. And, and, and maybe it's because of testing, maybe it's because of trials, maybe because of the allure of our own desires, maybe it's because we live in this present evil age, maybe it's because of the whispers of the evil one. But God, our desire is to live in light of the cross. And so, God, I pray for the very real pressures that are in the room today. I pray for those that are feeling the squeeze, or to use the analogy of the refining fires, they're feeling the temperatures being turned up. God, there may be some in the room today that have plans later today carry out that would not be good or wise or helpful for them, that would be sin for them. God, lead us. Lead us out. Lead us through because of Jesus' victory. May today be different. May we learn to not love our sin or to love the things of this world that would lead us from you. Change us, God. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Save us from our time of trial. Jesus, because you endured yours well. May that make sense. May that be different by the power of your spirit here today. And God, I pray for those that are, that are weary in this season. Would you breathe strength? Would you bring strength? Would you bring your power? Would you bring your grace? Would you bring your mercy? Would you bring your love? All the things that are available because of Jesus and his victory. Keep us safe, Lord, in your hands to live a life marked by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.